This week on Geek Explained, with a multiverse of madness making its way to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, this week I'm counting down my top five Marvel multiverse comics. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is dedicated to the multiverse. With multiverse mania going on in every single corner of pop culture these days, uh, a little movie is coming out to kind of capitalize on all of that, that being Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So, today's episode is dedicated to counting down my top five multiverse comics when it comes to Marvel. I might do another episode of this ranking my top five DC multiverse comics. If you would like to uh, get that, let me know. I love putting together lists like this. So, uh, But today, I'm really excited to talk about my top five multiverse comics. It was a very difficult list. I've got a lot of disclaimers. I've got rules for this. So you might be a little surprised by the stories that I pick. But I'm really, really stoked to talk about these. Uh, we also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I talk to you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Gonna kick things off with one quick piece of miscellaneous news, one sad piece of miscellaneous news in fact. Uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. We've been hotly anticipating the Captain Boomerang-led game for a good long while now, since its reveal at, I believe it was at Fandome, but unfortunately, unfortunately it looks like we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer because... Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League has been officially delayed until 2023. I am sad about this. Uh, I was actually kind of getting hyped about the game uh, because of the most recent trailers, the fact that Captain Boomerang is the lead character. Um, so I'm a little bummed. But again, at this point in a post-cyberpunk world, if a game needs to get delayed so that it comes out not being a buggy mess... Delay it as long as you need to. I'm totally okay with that. But that means that when it comes to DC games, Gotham Knights is going to be our lord and savior. Which, speaking of which, on to TV news, Gotham Knights lands a pilot order for the CW, but it's not the Gotham Knights where we're expecting it to be. It has nothing to do with the game, has nothing to do with the current CW Arrowverse. Apparently, it's going to be something different. The synopsis, and I'm obviously paraphrasing here, is that this series takes place following the murder of Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman. His, as the synopsis reads, uh, troubled, rebellious prodigal son returns to the city and apparently teams up with the kids of supervillains who have all been framed for Bruce Wayne's murder. So this is basically DC Runaways, 
I'm assuming. That's kind of what it feels like. Uh, but we'll see. I'm, I don't have high hopes for this. This is probably a Jason Todd series, I'm assuming. Rebellious, like, come on. But we'll see. We don't have a whole lot of information beyond this bare-bones synopsis. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. But exciting news is that according to THR, as of this recording, we can expect to see the Kenobi series uh, to release in May of this year. That's right. It's coming. We all kind of hoped and knew that it was coming out this year, and we were all keeping our fingers crossed for it to come out in May because, you know, May the 4th and all that. But all we know right now is that it's showing up in May. I think if they want to, you know, drop bombs, they will do the, uh, what was that, um... I don't remember the name of it, but it was the most recent Cloverfield film where they released the trailer and they're like, also available now. If they want to do that on May the 4th, that would be incredible. So balls in your court, Disney and Lucasfilm. We'll see if they pick that up. Uh, jumping over to film news, speaking of uh, Marvel and D- or, uh, Disney Plus stuff, uh, Madam Web, I forgot, is apparently getting a spinoff film uh we i feel like we knew that this film was coming out like it was probably announced alongside stuff like venom and morbius and stuff like that so it's gonna be in that realm in the sony spider-man universe or whatever they're calling it now and apparently we have our madam web dakota johnson of 50 shades fame has been cast in the role Sure, Dakota Johnson's a good actress. I don't know what the point of a Madam Web film is unless we're telling the story of Madam Web giving up the role to Julia Carpenter, which, I mean, I dig it. We'll have to see, though. We have no info on this whatsoever besides the fact that it's a movie that's in production and that Dakota Johnson has been cast. But until then, I'm going to give it the same amount of... Uh, I'm going to fill it with the same grains of salt that I did for the Channing Tatum Gambit movie. Until I see a cast, a synopsis, and a trailer, I'm not going to believe it's happening. Finally, wrapping up uh, comic book news, speaking of stuff I can't believe is happening, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson has announced his next project, this time for DC Comics, and it's called... Jurassic League. And no, he's not adapting Jurassic Park to the comic book page. He's making Justice League... But Dinosaurs, uh, he is teaming up alongside artist Juan Gideon, and apparently this book is exactly what it sounds like. It is going to be the Justice League if they were dinosaurs. I will be honest, I have no real interest in that. I, I'm not, this isn't Beta Ray Bill, uh, but I always like to say trust in Daniel Warren Johnson, so... If you are excited about this, I'm really excited for you. I probably won't be reading it, but I know it's going to be quality because of the creative team attached. So that is really exciting. Uh, We also got two new Marvel series announcements. First off, the new Savage Avengers are getting a book written by uh, David Popos with art by Carlos Magno with a all new, all different team lineup uh, led, of course, by Conan the Barbarian. Uh, but also featuring Anti-Venom, Weapon H, Black Knight, Cloak and Dagger, and the most well-known, I think, of the bunch, Daredevil herself, Electronachios. Um, I might, you know, pick up the first issue just to see more uh, Daredevil Electra, but we'll see. 
I wasn't a huge fan of the Savage Avengers before this. I don't know if it's going to, like, pique my interest now, but who knows? Who knows? And then finally, a book that I think might pique a lot of people's interest... Spider-Man 2099. We're getting a new Spider-Man 2099 series. This one entitled Spider-Man 2099 Exodus is getting an alpha issue coming out, uh, I believe, end of spring, early summer. Uh, It's being written by Steve Orlando with art by Paul Fry, both creators that are super cool. So look forward to that. This is going to be a big year for all of Spider-Man media since Spider-Man is celebrating his 80th anniversary. Um, So strap in, or 60th. It's probably 60th, because math. But I am, I'm, you know, I'm always excited about Spider-Man 2099. But uh, we'll just have to see. This sounds cool. I don't know anything about it. The cover also shows uh, Ghost Rider 2099, so that's always something to look forward to. But I will wait to see exactly what it's going to be about until we get that issue. But that is going to do it for this week's news and speaking of marvel comics that is going to roll us right on into this week's main event the main course the entree if you will which is my top five marvel multiverse comics of all time the multiverse is a concept about which we know The Marvel Multiverse. Since its debut in Avengers number 85 way back in 1971 and of course expanded upon by Alan Moore and Alan Davis in 1983, the multiverse is a concept in Marvel which has gotten a lot of praise and a lot of attention in recent years. It's kind of always been there. It's always been a concept that we as comic readers understand and we have kind of grown used to, but now it is seeping its way into the mainstream. It is making its debut in the minds of those who are not neck deep in long boxes and bags and boards. And now with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness hitting theaters this year, I thought it was the perfect time to talk about my top five Marvel Multiverse comics. Uh, If you are interested in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, if you're interested in the concept of the multiverse and you want to pick up some comics in, of course, relation to Marvel that have to do with the multiverse and kind of showcase it at its best and at its worst, uh, I think these are books that you should absolutely check out. Now, before we get into the top five, I have a couple rules that I put onto this list. First off, biggest one, no secret wars, no Spider-Verse. I feel like those two are kind of the gimmies when you think about multiverse, when you think about other worlds colliding, um, those are kind of on their own tier. Secret Wars, I think, in my humble opinion, is one of the best, if not the best, Marvel Comics events of all time. And it's funny that 
with the idea of the multiverse, you know, now making its way into like the MCU and DC com or the DC films that everyone's suddenly like, oh man, it's going to be secret wars in like 2025. And it's like, slow your roll, pal. Uh, we are not even scratching the surface of the multiverse yet. So either way, uh, no secret wars, no spider verse on this list. I think, like I said, those are gimmies. Those are stuff you kind of work up to. Uh, also, these books all feature multiversal crossovers. I think a big thing for Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness is having Strange, having Wanda, having uh, America Chavez, having Wong be our, um, what is it, our baseline, our constant when you want to talk about like scientific terms where we are sticking with them as they make their way across the multiverse and with that i think the most exciting part is having these characters who are so used to their own world interact and deal with other worlds so that is immediately part of these stories all five of these stories have to do with different universes colliding also, uh, I wanted, when I'm putting this list together, I wanted the idea behind this list to be promise of the premise. What is the concept of the multiverse? It's this idea where there's all these different roads that can be taken, all these different ideas, all these different what-ifs that can be applied to comic books given form, given life. And these, what these comics do, what all five of these books do, is they take that concept, they take the idea, the premise of the multiverse, where even just the slightest change can cause the greatest difference between two universes, all of these books, I think, do that in spades. And then finally, I want some good stories. <laughs> uh, all five of these, I think, are great stories if you are either a beginner, an intro to the multiverse, if you're in Multiverse 101, or if you're in Multiverse 401, where you have gotten a little bit of multiverse madness under your belt and you are wanting to explore some of the more wacky stuff some of the more uh exciting you know crossovers between two worlds so those are my caveats those are my rules when putting this list together i think all five of these books do everything that i've got under my rules though if you have your own favorite multiverse story and you do not hear on the list i'm gonna let you know some of these are surprising um i think you should let me know let me know what your favorite multiverse story is whether you want to uh tweet at me at geeksplainpod whether you want to email me geeksplain.gmail.com i would love to have that conversation with you the multiverse is really fun it's a really cool concept that I'm glad is finally getting some shine. So without further ado, without uh, any more delay, let's dive into this list, right? So at number five, I have Ultimate Fantastic Four Crossover. This is written by Mark Millar with art by Greg Land. This took place in Ultimate Fantastic Four number 21 through 23. And the story behind this was a big one. The concept of the Ultimate Universe was in the early 2000s, we wanted to update, we, like I'm part of Marvel Comics, uh, Marvel Comics wanted to update their characters for a modern era. They wanted to take the characters that we know and love from the 616 universe and 
really give them a fresh coat of paint, start their stories over without any worries about previous continuity. So we get Earth-1610. The Ultimates universe was born with Ultimate Spider-Man and blew up into Ultimates, the Ultimate X-Men, and of course, Ultimate Fantastic Four, which is one of the greatest, I think, um, diverge divergence from the original concept from the uh original formula you know fantastic four they're the first family of marvel they've got that whole you know mom dad wacky son funny uncle deal going on and what ultimate fantastic four did was they said okay all of them are children (laughs) all of them are teenagers all of them are young adults all of them are geniuses in their own right and so we are going to instead of shooting them off into space we're going to have them in you know go into the negative zone instead of them being a the uh what is it the ideal of the nuclear family we are going to make them modern kids trying to modern super genius kids trying to figure out how to deal with more sci-fi concepts and so this story having you know young reed young sue uh young johnny young ben all coming together learning their way through you know finding their wings and ultimate fantastic four was good in certain aspects, you know, in certain at certain points, it was very good, and eventually it did give birth to one of the greatest Marvel villains of all time, the Maker. But at this point in Ultimate Fantastic Four, they were still getting their sea legs. They were still, you know, in their first twenty-ish issues, and Marvel started to put out this big old, uh, this big old promotion. Ultimates meets. Maybe the 616? And there was a whole, you know, whole thing about like, oh, Reed's going to meet Reed. And they're showing, you know, I could still see the advertisement of young Reed's face on one end. You know, what we think of classic Reed's face on the other end. Their next extended off page. And that's like, oh my god, crossover. This is the first time that the Ultimate Universe and the 616 Universe are going to meet. And it was a huge deal. And especially for it to be Ultimate Fantastic Four, this was incredible. This was a tremendous opportunity for us to see how these two universes were would interact with both of them being the biggest universes in the marvel multiverse and then this story starts basically uh reed is trying to access the multiverse he's trying to access other worlds and he comes into contact with who we assume to be classic reed richards 616 reed richards the two of them are trading notes, the two of them have banter, the two of them are, you know, exchanging life experiences, and Reed says, hey, we have access to a multiversal door. How about you punch in your coordinates and you step on through, and let's compare notes? Which immediately is like, okay, stranger danger, first of all. <laughs> I don't know you. The multiverse is a vast, vast... um quant unquantifiable possibility and maybe you're a serial killer who knows but young reed is naive and he says yeah dude let's do it i'm super jazzed about diving into the multiverse let's make this happen and so ultimate reed steps you know 
punches in his uh, his coordinates. The door opens. He steps on through and walks right into the world of Marvel zombies. Marvel zombies. Reed Richards tricked him. Uh, this was the debut of the Marvel zombies concept. This would eventually, of course, lead out into Robert Kirkman's uh, Marvel zombies comic. And this book is fantastic. And it, I think more than any of the others really dials into the dangers of the multiverse, which is a really exciting idea. And one of, I think the main ideas that's going to be going into uh, multiverse of madness, this idea that there are so many alternate universes where things went wrong. And, with this, we get to see a more naive Reed who isn't really as world-weary or as world-experienced or multiversal-experienced as the you know 616 Reed falling into a trap by a Reed who is willing to do whatever it takes to get some nom-noms. And so what's cool is that, again, this combines two really different uh, Marvel universes. The Ultimate Fantastic Four, which is, you know, again, the more modernized, gritty, sometimes cynical Marvel universe with the Marvel Zombies universe, where everyone's a zombie, except at this point, I think, Magneto. Uh, this is such a cool idea, smashing these two stories together, and... This could also, and I was just thinking of this, uh, be one of our lead-ins to the Fantastic Four entering the MCU. We've been talking about for a while the idea of, oh, you know, how are they going to introduce the Fantastic Four to the MCU? What are we going to do, you know, with, are we going to make them modern day? Are we going to make them time, you know, uh, time displaced? I got this idea that maybe Multiverse of Madness leads us into Fantastic Four. Maybe they are a team, just like the Avengers, that debuted in their time frame, whether it's modern day, whether it's classic, you know, 60s or whatever, and they're the only super team in their world. Something happens, Galactus shows up, eats their world or whatever, they go and they come into the MCU, and that's how we get them having been a team for a while without having to jump through a bunch of hoops. I know it's not ideal, but I think it would be an interesting way to kind of circumvent the whole time-displaced idea without repeating what we've seen with Captain America and now Captain Marvel. So that is just my idea. But what I love about this is that this is a simple, short story. It's about the dangers of the multiverse and the dangers of not... Uh, vetting your pen pals. <laughs> um, it's only three issues. It's three simple issues. It's one and done. If you want to continue on from there with Ultimate FF, you continue on with issue 24. You want to continue on with the world of Marvel Zombies, you start off with Marvel Zombies. It's otherwise self-contained. You can get everything you need to know out of it. And honestly, it's a great intro to the concept of the multiverse. For a lot of people, I'm sure, who were reading Ultimate Fantastic Four and it being, you know, their first comic, this could have been their introduction to the concept of the multiverse, the dangers of the multiverse. And for me, that's a really cool idea. And having this be like your intro to like, oh, shit, um, the multiverse is really cool, but it can also be super bad is, I think, a cautionary tale that should go along with all the wonder that the multiverse can bring. So 
I really enjoy this story. It's simple. It's one of the high points of Ultimate Fantastic Four in a book that, I mean, you look at the two creators and you're like, hmm, uh, I don't know. But honestly, I think it's a great multiversal story and I think you should absolutely check it out. But that is number five. At number four, I have something a little different. This is Uncanny X-Force, The Dark Angel Saga. This was written by Rick Remender with art by Mark Brooks, Jerome Opeña, Isad Ribic, Scott Eaton, Billy Tan, Rich Elson. And this story comes out of... Uh, Uncanny X-Force number 10 all the way through number 18. So this is a pretty sizable chunk. This is, and I, you know, I don't feel bad saying this. This is one of my favorite X-Men runs ever. Period. Out of all of the years of X-Men comics, the decades of X-Men comics, this right here is in the top top five, maybe even top three of X-Men runs that I've ever read. Uncanny X-Force was the first X-Men comic that I really, like, as an adult, really fell in love with as a comic reader. And I just, I love this book. But the premise of this is that Uncanny X-Force by Remember, Remember, by Remender is this story of essentially a mutant strike team. This is during the Utopia era of the X-Men, where Cyclops is ruling with a soft iron fist over Utopia and has made not just the X-Men, but mutants as a whole, this public figure, right? They are the defenders of San Francisco. They are doing what's right. They are seeking uh, asylum. They have created their own nation to try and get on the world stage pre House of X Powers of 10. And with them being on the world stage, with them being under a microscope, Scott Summers realized, oh, there are some really nitty gritty things that we have to do that we just cannot be seen doing. So he puts together a team comprising of Wolverine, Deadpool, Psylocke, Archangel, and Phantom X. And this team basically acts as the Marvel Strike Force for a little while, where they are dropped into situations doing black ops work. They get in, they kill their targets, they get out, or whatever mission they have to do. As the story continued on uh, dealing with the complexities of their moral... uh, of uh, the complexities of their morality and the idea of should we be doing what we're doing and is what we're doing right? Um, there's been an interesting story with Psylocke and Archangel in this strange place because Archangel is now a separate uh, personality from Warren. And the two of them are, they could not be more different in this story. Uh, Warren is his charming self and <sighs> Archangel is almost like a Terminator. Right? He is just like this. He's essentially a drone strike. He is a living, breathing drone strike. And they use him as such. And Psylocke, for the first, you know, 10 issues, has started to feel their relationship slip, has started to feel them growing further apart from each other. And at the beginning of the story, there is a reporter who gets a hold of evidence that there is this mutant strike force that is going out and you know, eliminating targets. And so he publishes an article. 
Archangel does not take too kindly to that and slaughters all the uh, reporters involved. To which the X-Force as a whole are like, dude, this is bad. So they basically say, okay, we need to figure out what the hell is going on with this. And they decide that since Archangel, of course, was a product of Apocalypse, they need to try and figure out what they're, you know, a way to dive into Apocalypse's uh, uh, story, his schematics, you know, how did he create Archangel and what is it that he has been infected with, this blood th- that's bloodthirst, this bloodlust. And so they go to the resident Apocalypse expert that they have in custody, Dark Beast. They talk to him and Dark Beast says, oh yeah, well, you know, he's... Basically, he's death, so he is going to be the next apocalypse, unless you can uh, you can basically uh, subvert this with a life seed. And the only way you're going to be able to get a life seed is if you take me home to the age of apocalypse. So this story involves the uncanny X-Force returning to the age of apocalypse world which had not been seen properly since the 1990s. This book came out in the early 2010s, and oh man, this was a big deal. Oh man, this was a big deal. As a kid with, uh, you know, my dad essentially collected the entirety of the Age of Apocalypse and recently bequeathed them to me, uh, this was a huge deal. And so this, if any of these books do... uh, really gives you the idea of what happens when you tamper with the multiverse because that life seed is meant to be in the age of apocalypse world the life seed and i can't remember why for whatever reason wasn't on the 616 world it might have been because apocalypse was dead it might have might have been because something else happened but they decide to go to the age of apocalypse to steal the life seed from that world. So they go there and we get to see the crossover once again of age of apocalypse and the uncanny X-Force from earth 616, a true crossover from 616 to another world. And it goes about as well as everyone expects it to. Uh, We find out that the reason that there is a life seed on, in the Age of Apocalypse is because a new apocalypse had been chosen. And it's Wolverine. Ah, I won't spoil anymore, but that was a huge deal. We get to see, you know, Wolverine of 616 reckon with this idea that not only was not only is he the apocalypse on this world, but he was also in a world where Jean Grey was his, solely his. And the two of them have a really interesting uh, dialogue, really interesting relationship. We also get to see all of the fallout from the original Age of Apocalypse storyline, where the end of the story was nuclear Armageddon before the world, you know, snapped back to reality. And it's really interesting to see the post-Age of Apocalypse uh status quo i think it's really interesting um they unfortunately don't go as far with it in the subsequent age of apocalypse uh sequel series as i would have liked but really cool you get a glimpse into this bygone world which i think we are going to see a lot of in uh, multiverse 
of madness where we're going to have once again our baseline in this case being the uncanny x-force going into these you know previously seen worlds we might see you know there's been rumors all over the place of nicholas cage ghost rider of the original fantastic four films of all of this stuff and i think this if you are looking for a story where the base team your 616 hometown team goes into the multiverse to try and accomplish something this is a story for you we also get to see the impact of other worlds on our team you know these characters go into this world and they see what's become of them and they see how different their lives could have been and that shakes them for the rest of the run this is a 30 something issue run and you get to see all of it you get to see all all of that they go through they constantly reference back to it the dark angel saga is one of if not the best arc in uncanny x-force and it is absolutely worth the read for sure but that wraps up number four number three we have the ultimates not the ones you're thinking of though this is written by al ewing with art by kenneth rockefort christian ward travel foreman philippe andrade marco uh, lorenzana and odd coke i hope i said that correctly i'm so sorry if i didn't um as well as, oh man, uh, Jibril Morissette fam. And this book, uh, which I am just going to recommend you the complete collection, uh, because it is all in one complete collection. It has collected all the entire series. Uh, this is issues 1 through 12 of Ultimates, issues 1 through 9 of Ultimates 2, as well as the special 100 issue. And... What I find fascinating about this team, right, is here, let's just, for argument's sake, let's just list off these roster members for a second. Stick with me here. So, as your starting lineup, we're heading into the All-Star break with the NBA, as your starting lineup, we have Black Panther, Monica Rambeau Spectrum, Captain Marvel, America Chavez, and our boy, Adam Brashear, the Blue Marvel. That is a hell of a team. That is, for me, one of the strongest and most overpowered teams that Marvel has ever put together. And I'm including people like, or teams like the Annihilators, which is overpowered to the gills. Um, what this team does... Uh, is they are they are a nuclear option for any conflict. Like, you bring any one of these characters in, there's going to be problems. You put them all on the same team, well, let's just say ultimate problems require ultimate solutions. And what this book does is this is spinning out of Secret Wars, that incredible story that I mentioned earlier. Um, the idea that post-Secret Wars, there was supposed to be only one world. However, the Fantastic Four, as we saw, went out to birth a brand new multiverse. And so the threats of the multiverse are now bigger than ever. And they start off right away with Galactus. Galactus is dealing with something fierce. I don't want to spoil it because this is one of the most interesting things they've ever done with Galactus. But... 
the team very quickly gets set on this path of defending not just their own universe, but also the entire multiverse as a whole. Uh, we've seen this most recently with, you know, the Aveng- the Guardians of the Multiverse with What If and stuff like that. This is kind of similar. However, this all-star team is mostly focused with uh, Cosmic Marvel, dealing with some of the more abstract uh, concepts and, you know, stuff like Eternity, uh, Living Tribunal, One Above All, that kind of thing. And what is so cool about this story is that I think this is going to be a blueprint. I think this book, and I have it in my hand right now, it is gorgeous, it's heavy, because it's a lot of comic, Um this is going to be a blueprint for what we can expect to see going forward. The pieces are all there, right? We have uh, we have Captain Marvel. We have Monica Rambeau. We have America Chavez coming up. Black Panther, we will have to, of course, work around. We'll see what ends up happening from that. But I would put money down that Blue Marvel is on his way at some point. If not in like an ultimate story, then he's coming. We've got a film called The Marvels, and Blue Marvel is sitting there. He's waiting. So that is uh, in that aspect. Also, this story deals with the multiverse. This story deals with the Marvel cosmic. And what I love so much about this is that this story is... First of all, it's incredibly underrated. Nobody talks about this. Al Ewing is on a hot streak right now. However, uh, this is a book that I don't think a lot of people talk about. When you know you think of uh, when you think of Al Ewing, you're thinking like a Mortal Hulk. You're thinking about Sword. You're thinking about X Men Red coming up. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. There's all kinds of you know notches in Al Ewing's belt when it comes to how good he is but when it comes to this book it is him at his most creative we are seeing this team diving from just crisis to crisis and what's great about it is that there's heavy sci-fi lots of high concept storytelling But at its heart, it's about these characters. It's about what happens when maybe you put the most uh, star-studded, power-packed team together, but they might not be the most stable team. And so at its heart, it's got a ton of character moments, got a ton of character conflict. There's, you know... Putting America Chavez on any team is really fun because she is her own person she is unique to herself she is unto herself and she does not play what you know play well with people talking down to her which being on a team with all adults is something that is going to happen but having this this team brought together basically at first to deal with galactus and his never-ending hunger is really cool you get so you get essentially a tour of marvel cosmic you get a tour of what happens when the multiverse has been tampered with and how that affects the higher concept beings in the multiverse and in the marvel universe as a whole and we have seen recently in the mcu that that stuff is going to be uh 
that stuff is going to be in play. The Celestials made their debut in uh, Eternals and now are on the board. The Eternals, we've got all kinds of high-concept, cosmic-y, cosmic-y stuff coming. And this book, I think, is going to set up what our next quote-unquote Avengers-style team is going to be. Also, this story has the most wonderful poetic symmetry to it. I mean, they're called the Ultimates, so you have to expect something's going to happen, right? There's going to be a conflict which brings them to the Ultimate Universe. And I'm not going to say whether it happens or whether it doesn't, but the Ultimate Universe is... Something that has gotten a lot of shine from the MCU has inspired a lot of it. And I think that any story that delves into it, any story that deals with the ramifications of just how much the multiverse can change and warp depending on who's, you know, at the wheel is something that I think is so freaking cool. We get to see high concept stuff. We get to see really incredible character moments. Adam Brashear, Blue Marvel is one of my favorite characters. And it's because of stories like this, where you get to see him working as not just, you know, a power puncher, but his incredible brain, his incredible mind for aptitude. And you get this, and I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say Eternity War. Look for it. Keep your eye out for it. Eternity War is one of the highest stakes conflicts in the entire history of Marvel Comics. And I guarantee you, 50% of comic readers have no idea what it is. <laughs> so keep that in mind. It's a wonderful, it's also a complete story. You know, the, the thing about the previous two entries, yes, they are wonderful stories. They are great introductions or, you know, continuing readings of the multiverse. But what's great about the Ultimates, it's a beginning, a middle, and end. You get everything, especially if you pick up this complete collection. It's everything you could want from... 2015 through 2016 it is a story that deserves to be read it is a story that was a pleasure to read so do yourself a favor if you've never heard of it if you've never read it do it it's so freaking good and that's why it's at number three going to number two this one was tough but at number two it's the Exiles, baby. You knew it had to be somewhere on the list. The Exiles are the preeminent Marvel multiversal team. And because I am who I am, I can't help it. I'm a cheeky guy. You're getting two for one. You're getting two for one at the two spots. Uh, I've got two recommendations when it comes to the Exiles. I mean, you could read their entire run. You could read every single issue of the Exiles, but Specifically, what I'd like you to check out is, first of all, the original series from 2001. Issues 1 through 100. I know I said it's just a it's just a specific pick, but there were other Exile stories after this. There were other runs after this. Uh, but the first 100 issues, written by Judd Winnick with art by Mike McCone, are excellent. Uh, the premise of this story is that Blink, one of the survivors of the Age of Apocalypse, who is, you know, 
I think poetically so, blinked out of the Age of Apocalypse just as the bombs drop, is pulled into the multiverse and tasked with leading a team into the multiverse itself to deal with threats. Uh, Again, this might sound very familiar to you, but what's really cool about this uh, this Exiles run and this team as a whole is that not only are you getting a little bit of, you know, what if multiversal Avengers type deal, you're also getting a little bit of Suicide Squad thrown in because this book has a rotating cast and no one is safe. There is no guarantee that these characters are going to make it through this whatever arc that they're in. Uh, which is really exciting. You see characters offed right away in this book, and it immediately heightens the threat level, it heightens the tension, it heightens everything about this book because you might dive into the multiverse and never come back. All of these characters are either cast-offs from their original universe, which is no longer here, or they're representing their universe and trying to get back. So, all. Ultimately, the stakes are there, the characters are great, you can see all kinds of different combinations, and it's just a really cool, really cool concept. What's also great about this uh, about this uh, 20, uh, 2001 run is that, for the most part, it's fairly episodic. Usually, arcs last two to three issues, then they're done, they move to the next one. Whether it's with the same team or not, you'll just have to read, but it makes it really easy to just dive in and dive out at any point. Um, and the formula worked for them for a hundred issues. You'd never see that nowadays. So I think it's wonderful. Also, what's cool is that it's early multiverse. It's early 2000s multiverse when they were still establishing the ultimate universe. And they're still establishing, okay, what do we want this multiverse to be in a modern setting? And so you get to see them go a little buck wild with it, which is really, really fun. And we don't see as much, I think, creativity when it comes to the multiverse nowadays. Now it's just like, what if these characters, but Western, but they're the same. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's a cool concept, but, I mean, you have room. You have rope left to, like, go a little further. So this is really exciting. Judd Winnick puts his heart and soul into this book. The art by Mike McCone is great. Um, And I just think it's a wonderful story. And also, it's a great... It's a great opportunity, especially in this run, for characters who you've loved from previous, you know, what-ifs, previous alternate reality stories to get a second chance. You run into characters that you have either read before or you have always wanted to read about in this book. You know, right off the bat, the leader of the team, Blink, is from the Age of Apocalypse world where we expected never to see it again in 2001. And you get to see characters from that world. You get to see characters from other worlds that we've seen before and some we've never seen before team up and get a second chance to win over readers just like they did in their previous runs, which I think is really cool. Uh, Marvel gave uh, Winnick and McCone just carte blanche to go however wild they want to with the multiverse and what they wanted to create and it's ultimately the potential of the multiverse is what this book represents and also i'm going to give you the 2018 run written by saladin ahmed with art by javier rodriguez rod race and joe quinones uh this is only 12 issues but it is a complete story uh 2018 much the same uh it's a complete story just like the original 2001 run but it's way shorter a fraction of the length at 12 issues and 
What's great about this is it brings back Blink. She is once again the leader. But this also gives you more of that what if vibe. If you really, really vibed with the uh, what if show and you shouted at me by putting it so low in the uh, MCU Disney Plus rankings last week, this is the book for you. This is exactly what you're looking for. Fun sort of no stake stories but this also gave us the introduction to captain carter you want a captain america that is peggy carter kicking ass here you go you also want wolvie here you go you didn't know you wanted wolvie but trust me after reading this book you'll want wolvie uh this book is just fun it is admittedly a little bit more low stakes than uh than the 2001 exiles and they i would say um the story, because it is only 12 issues, doesn't get to breathe as much as the original run. However, it's just really fun. It's a fun book. It explores the multiverse. Again, they get creative with it, which is what I like to see. And it's ultimately one of those books that people kind of slept on, but it is a great representation of what the multiverse can do, of what the multiverse can be, and what kind of stories you can tell in that realm. Really, really love it. Enjoy that book to death. And it is something that I am itching to reread. So uh, The Exiles, both the 2001 and the 2018 run, there have been runs in between, but in my opinion, they're not great. Uh, So absolutely, absolutely pick these up. But... It's not the number one. The number one for me, which might surprise you, might not surprise you, is Spider-Man. I know. I know what I said. Listen to me. Written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Sarah Pacelli, this took place in Spider-Man, a complete miniseries, uh, issues one through five. And just like how our number five pick promised the crossover of the century with the ultimate universe crossing over with marvel 616 this one did it that's right i started the i started the list with a bait and switch and i ended it with fulfilling the premise it's like it's like poetry it rhymes and i love this book i love this book to death and i love it even more now that we're doing the geek explain book club on ultimate spider-man uh, every Friday, check it out. It's such a good story, and it has no right to be. It has every right to be just a gimmick. And this story, let me just let me backtrack here for a second. Six one six and the sixteen ten worlds were kept largely separate for their entire run. The entire run of the Ultimate Marvel Universe, nary a single person crossed over. However. One such person did, and it created a whole ton of problems. I'm talking Mysterio, our boy. Oh, man, I love Mr. Beck. Uh, Quentin Beck crosses over, and hijinks ensue. And so this was the biggest, uh, the biggest deal, because at this point... Ultimate Spider-Man had been a monolith unto itself, right? We had had this incredible run, Brian Michael Bendis... Mark Bagley, uh, Mark Brooks, all the others, uh, came together to create, to craft this odyssey for Peter Parker in the modern day without any of the shackles of the 616 continuity. And ultimately, it did lead to his death. 
Which brings us Miles Morales. Miles Morales, who is still in the early days, still in the early days of his Spider-Manning, making his way as a young hero, as a rookie hero, collides with the 616 Spider-Man, who has been through some shit, let me tell ya. Uh, He has been through a ton over in the Dan Slot run, which is where this took place, and it was incredible. It's everything that I wanted it to be. What this book is, is what the multiverse is all about. It's roads not taken. The concept of the multiverse is what if something was different, whether it's a big thing, what are, whether it's a small thing. And what is incredible about this story is we get to see through the eyes of 616 Peter Parker a road not taken, a different world, a world where things kind of were better. A world where things were kind of worse. There is a moment where Peter Parker, and this was so expertly executed in Into the Spider-Verse, where Peter Parker, 616 Peter Parker, shows up at Aunt May's house, Ultimate Aunt May, who is grieving the loss of her son. I mean, tears. It's heartbreaking. You know, I, oh man, it is, you want to talk about personal stakes, you want to talk about emotion, you want to talk about personal investment in a story and in characters, this is it. Because not only do Peter and Aunt May get to have this moment where he sees this Aunt May who is thriving, not just surviving, thriving, but also he gets to see Gwen Stacy. Ultimate Gwen Stacy, who is very different from our classic sweet baby Gwen from the 616. Um, The two of them get to have a long conversation. And it's interesting because Peter Parker's an adult now and he kind of gets to impart some wisdom onto her. The two of them get to share experiences about each other. You know, Gwen lost Peter. Peter lost Gwen. And so it's really interesting, um, but not in like a romantic way. It's almost like in a uh, brother-sisterly way, which is really fun. It's it's just, it's incredible. What's great about this story too is that it's self-contained. This is a story that you can read in its entirety from start to finish. You don't need to know anything about anything that's going on in the Ultimate Spider-Man or Amazing Spider-Man runs to jump into the story. And what's so cool about this is that, again, this story is fulfilling the promise of the premise. At this point, the Ultimate Universe had turned into something that was unrecognizable from what it was when it started. When it started, Ultimate Universe was classic heroes, but make them American. Just Americana all over the place. Because, you know, it was 2000, 2001. It was, it was just the deal. The Ultimate Universe following that spiraled into this completely different plane of existence to the 616 universe. And so seeing Peter deal with that, seeing Peter show up into this world that is so different, where he, in his world, is struggling to be a hero and struggling to deal with all the shit that he has to deal with, coming into this place where he's beloved, where Spider-Man you know, at in death has been celebrated. And now he has inspired somebody else to take up that role. It's incredible. Speaks to not just the legacy of Spider-Man, speaks to the idea of superheroism. I don't know if I said that right. Superheroism? Either way, 
the whole idea behind the film Into the Spider-Verse. Anyone can wear the mask. This is the promise of that premise. This is Peter coming to terms with that. This is Peter realizing what he represents as Spider-Man. And for Miles, it's the chance to prove himself. It's the chance to be Spider-Man. The two of them have wonderful banter with each other, comparing notes, comparing villains, comparing adventures. Uh, Miles really gets to... This is, for me, when Miles arrived. And I know that sounds weird, maybe unfair, but I really do think this was when Miles stepped out onto the main stage and he was able to say, I am the ultimate Spider-Man apart from Peter Parker. It is me. It is my show now. This is this is my book. And for me, this was the moment when he arrived, really. And it's so good because Peter realizes this too. He's like, God damn, like the, the ultimate universe is in good hands because you're Spider-Man. It's just a great story. It's a feel-good story. And it is the story of two universes colliding and the, again, legacy that the multiverse as a concept can give us. You know, this story alone has its own legacy. Into the Spider-Verse draws heavily from this story. No Way Home, the idea of multiple Spider-Men meeting up. You know, these stories that are big right now and the multiversal stories that we are going to continue to get. This is such an important story for that in a modern setting. If you are saying, I want an introduction to the multiverse, I want to know what's happening here, this is a good story. This is, nay, a great story to dive into, into the concept of the multiverse. And something that I think is great for any story, it ends on the ultimate cliffhanger. The ultimate cliffhanger. I love to death the cliffhanger that is at the end of Spider-Man, and I will never forgive Brian Michael Bendis for not following up on that in any fulfilling way. He, you know, he explains it and everything, but it's not, it's, who cares about 616 Miles Morales? Literally. Who cares? Ultimatum sucks. He just does. But what I do love about this story, and what I love about all five of these stories, is that the multiverse, no matter which way you slice it, is this playground this blank canvas for which you can create so many stories so many worlds so many characters and the idea that we as readers get to explore it is what it's all about the multiverse of madness is coming for us uh dr strange the multiverse of madness coming to theaters this may so it would behoove you if you are not read up on the multiverse to check this out. But even setting that aside, even setting aside homework to, you know, get yourself ready for this book, all five of these stories are just damn good stories. Um, all these stories take the concept of the multiverse and they say, we are taking you as the reader on an on an adventure that you haven't seen before. And for me, ultimately, that's what the multiverse is all about. 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of February 9th, 2022. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explain Pick of the Week of last week. And there were so many good comics last week. Oh, man, they are killing it right now. Um, But ultimately, I chose The Amazing Spider-Man number 88. This was written by Zeb Wells with art by Michael Dowling. Um, This story is incredible. Uh, This book actually made me gasp at the end of the issue. It is incredible. I can't wait to pick up the next issue. But that being said, that's last week. Looking at this week, we've got five... Uh, Looks like nine books on the docket, so let's go ahead and dive into them. First off, Bat-Cat, Batman-Cat-Woman number 10. This is written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Oh, he's back? Okay, all right. Had a little bit of a uh, little bit of a sabbatical while Liam Sharp took over a couple issues, so it looks like I'm assuming this means that Clay Mann's gonna do the art for the final three issues, including this one, um, which... I guess it's cool. I'm glad to have Clayman back. I wish he had been there the entire time. No shade to Liam Sharp. His art's amazing, but they sold it on Tom King and Clayman. Either way, though, I've been enjoying the story. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Don't mess with Catwoman. As our three storylines experience a rare moment of convergence, Selina fights for her life against the Joker and her own daughter, Batwoman. What secrets from her deadly friendship with the Clown Prince of Crime will cause this row between mother and child? Find out in an action-packed issue that proves this cat can fight. So yeah, sounds like we're getting some more big-time action, which I think the series as a whole has kind of shied away from. It's been more about character moments, which is cool. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets offset in this issue. Next up, we have The Secret X-Men number one, written by Teeny Howard with art by Francesco Mobley. Uh, this is our X-Rejects book. <laughs> this is the book that uh, features all of the X-Men that weren't voted for the first time around in the uh, X-Men vote for 2021. Uh, so we're talking Armor. We're talking Banshee, Strong Guy, Forge. We got uh, Tempest. We have... Um, why am I blanking on these names? We've got Sunspot, we've got Cannonball, we've got Marrow, and my girl, Boom Boom. So I'm excited. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shh. It's the X-Men. When the Shia Empire faces an unexpected threat, they must call upon the X-Men. Team co-captains Sunspot and Cannonball must lead Marrow, Tempo, Forge, Banshee, Strongguy, Armor, and Boom Boom on a secret mission to save Empress Zandra. Wait, those aren't the X-Men. Aren't those the mutants who lost the election? Yeah, baby, I'm excited about this. Uh, I love this team. I love the team makeup on this. Really excited to see what ends up happening here, whether this ends up being a suicide run. This could be a sleeper pick for pick of the week. Next up, we have Radiant Black number 12, written, of course, by Kyle Higgins with and Megan Camarena, with art by Goni Montez. Um, it looks like we're going to be dipping into Radiant Pink this time around. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Camera on. 
Mic check. Put the stream live. Hide the alien artifact that gives you superpowers. Wipe away the tears. And three, two, one. Series writer Kyle Higgins is joined by Twitch superstar Megan Strawberry17 Camarena and iconic artist Goni Montez for a standalone story that reveals the secret origins of Radiant Pink. You know, it's so funny. I remember watching Strawberry17's videos on YouTube back in the day, so this is hilarious. Um... It should be fun. Radiant Black's been a really good time when it comes out, and I'm excited to pick this up. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 88.bey. This is the next interlude issue, and I think we need it. Genuinely, I think we need it, because the cliffhanger from last issue was a lot. So uh, this is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Jim Toe and uh, Jan Boswell. Buzz, ugh, Buzzaldwa. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, this looks real interesting. It says, The Amazing Spider-Man Enter the Slingers. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Return of the Slingers. You didn't think the Beyond Corporation only had one hero on their payroll. Watch as Hobie Brown descends to new heights as the Hornet. But yeah, we've got Hornet, we've got Ricochet, we've got the other one. Uh, the Shade, the Shadow, the... I don't remember the name, but this looks really cool. Beyond Air has been awesome. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 8. Written by Tom Taylor, art by Sian Tormi. Uh, what can I say? Superman, Son of Kal-El rules. It's been consistently one of the best books DC puts out from month to month, and I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Henry Bendix's plans for ultimate control threaten every superhero on Earth. And in trying to stand against the director of Gamora... Superman makes himself a target of business and world leaders. He is seen by too many as a force that must be stopped. How much can even a man of steel stand against before he bends? So yeah. Uh, oh, is that Dictator? That's Dictator. Dictator of Gamora. But either way, um, I'm excited about this. We have been kind of inching our way towards the confrontation between uh, Superman and Henry Bendix. So this is going to be quite interesting indeed. Next up, we have Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, number four. This is written by Marek uh, Nijkamp with art by Enid Balam. Um, I think this is the last one. I don't know. It's it, it's either four issues or six issues. We'll see. But this book's been a blast. I've been loving it so far. The story's been fun. The art has been great. And I can't wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Kate Bishop hates the circus. Turns out that the resort Chapiteau is being run by none other than the Circus of Crime, as nothing more than a new and exciting way to part rich people from their money. Except the signet ring they stole from Susan unlocks her safe at Bishop Manor, which contains something way, way more dangerous than stacks of cash. Also, the resort is set to self-destruct, and the guests, and Susan and Lucky, are still inside. Worst vacation ever. Yeah, uh, this book is so much fun. It's a great, great jumping on point, especially if you loved Kate Bishop in the uh, Disney Plus series. You should be picking this up for sure. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1052. This is written by Mario, Mar ah, Mariko Tamaki, Matthew Rosenberg with art by Max Rayner and Fernando Blanco. 
continuing on the Shadows of the Bat Arkham Tower story and the House of Gotham backup. This has been great. I've been loving this. This is amazing. Getting this alongside... Um, uh, what's it called? Alongside Spider-Man each week. It's that whole, you know, I'm an Apple and I'm a PC. It's been great. It's been amazing getting both, you know, two weekly books with Spider-Man and Batman that have been incredible have been just such a blessing as a comic book reader. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower, Part 6, slash House of Gotham, Chapter 6. His hold is breaking. That's the message written in blood across the minds of Arkham Tower's inhabitants after a nightmare melee is unleashed. With Gotham's deadliest criminals reverting to their former murderous selves one horrific night, Dr. Ware has a lot of explaining to do and a lot of covering up to perform. Can Nightwing get to the bottom of this mystery before the people of Arkham Tower are put in peril again? Plus, Batman's iron grip on Gotham is enough to drive the desperate to madness. And madness is on the mind of the boy in part six of House of Gotham. When an average night at Goat Check at the Iceberg Lounge turns into a violent battle royale between the Dark Knight and the Penguin, lines are blurred, people are hurt, and the boy's descent into a life of crime deepens. So I still, I have this theory that the boy is Dr. Ware. We'll see if that pans out or if this is just a self-contained story, but I've been loving this. Bringing in Psycho Pirate, having him be kind of the key to this all rising up and crumbling down has been really fun. And I'm really interested to see how we get to that next big breakout moment. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Devil's Reign number four. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. Um, Devil's Reign's been incredible. Been absolutely loving it. It's been such a fun time. And it looks like this issue is going to focus on the new Thunderbolts. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. New York under siege. Wilson Fisk, duly elected mayor of New York, has broken. Whatever shreds of decency that may have been left of him is gone entirely. And now, with an army of supervillains at his command, the Kingpin has set his gaze upon everyone the heroes of the Marvel Universe hold dear. But even the Kingpin is unaware of the magnitude of danger he has put the city, its citizens, and even himself with this war against the city's superheroes. Yeah, all-out wartime. Cannot wait to pick this up. This is going to be incredible. But that does it for this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have Batman Catwoman number 10, The Secret X-Men number 1, Radiant Black number 12, The Amazing Spider-Man number 88.bey, Superman Son of Kal-El number 8, Hawkeye Kate Bishop number 4, Detective Comics number 1052, and Devil's Reign number 4. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. Honestly, ratings, reviews, especially subscriptions, really do help me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and with your help, we will get out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. 
And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. I will be forced to read it. As long as you give me that five stars, I will read it here. And you can join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, that being... Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, Alok and Azian, Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to get a recommendation, my thoughts on something, maybe you want some recommendations on stuff we haven't talked about yet on the podcast maybe you want to request future episodes or maybe you just want a quick pitch you can email me i am an old man i do read emails you can send them to geeksplained at gmail.com just put mailbag in the subject header and i will read them here on the podcast as well and finally if you want to keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or if you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D. There's a ton of stuff that we're going to be talking about this year. Lots of DC, Marvel, uh, other independent comic book stuff, comic book movie stuff, comic book game stuff. So... If you want to keep up to me, if you want to chat with me, that is the best way to do that. And finally, I mentioned it earlier in the episode, we have a second podcast, which is the Geeksplained Book Club. Every single Friday, I, along with my amazing friends Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, this week, we're going to be diving into volume six, and there's a lot happening in it. So uh, tune in for that every single Friday. If you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. It's fun. This, is, this po- main podcast is usually just me. The book club we all three get together and madness ensues so uh, it's a ton of fun we wrapped up our first season last year with invincible and this year uh we're doing ultimate spider-man and we might be doing something else keep your ears to the ground on that as well so check that out every single friday and that will do it for this week's episode but Next week, I've got something pretty special. So next week is going to be our Valentine's Day special, and it is going to focus on the ex-wives of Wolverine. Tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.